From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. This interview heavy edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. I am Chase Parm and Neil McCready. Got a couple interviews for you today. One with Jenna Fryer. She covers NASCAR. A lot about the uh, desperate need to return to the track for uh, for NASCAR, as well as a favorite on the podcast, Ryan Brown of WJOXFM. You know him from uh, for a very long time. Been with us every Thursday. He changed time slots, but he's here to uh, to join us on this one to talk about Thursday's NFL draft. He's a Dolphins fan, so you know he's uh, he's on two a watch right now as far as that. So those interviews coming up to for you today on the show, the Oxford Exxon Highway Six West in Oxford. You can find them there every single day. Speed Pass Plus out. Remember to use that. You know, if you don't touch anything, you can take care of your um, <clears throat> your safety as much as possible there with Speed Pass Plus out. You can also go next door to the Oxford Crystal. Use the drive through and we're only five days away from them picking a person out of the fishbowl. They have a fishbowl available at every water combo location in Mississippi. One person winning free crystal for a year from each one of those locations. And coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900, Highway 25 South there in Amory. Where he wants to be a truck guy, wants to be your car guy. If you're into the buying business right now, he can take care of you. He can handle things with social distancing. He can travel when necessary. They will do the best they can to accommodate your needs there at Clark Ford in Amory. Again, 662-257-1900. And now here we will start the show. Jenna Fryer covers auto racing for the Associated Press. She's based in Charlotte. Jenna and I go way back to our days when we were just uh, babies covering Auburn. So uh, congratulations on your success and uh, great to talk to you. Hi, great to talk to you as well, Neil. Hope everything's going good. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this before we started. I, I, I hear from all these people about the quarantine thing, and it's like, yeah, all this free time to watch all these shows and stuff, and I, and I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm glad I'm busy, but I've been busy. I, it, I mean, I did, you know, like you, you were talking, you, you're doing news stuff too, uh, there with the yeah. coronavirus related stuff, I assume. And then yeah. the circuits that you cover, even though they're not racing, there's still stuff going on. And, and, and then there's this all consuming story that you wrote a really good column about the other day that I wanted to talk about in a minute, but there's this cons- all consuming story about, Hey, when do sports return? And it's frankly a story that kind of changes a little bit every day or two and different people will say things, which leads to other reactions from other people. Yeah. And yeah. hell, I don't know who's right or wrong, but from a, from a journalism standpoint, you end up talking to a lot of people because someone said something. Yeah, correct. You end up, um, you end up just following a trail all day long. And, and what I've learned is that in this climate that what you learn at 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> is different at 11 o'clock in the morning and looks, you know, com- is completely off the board by 5 p.m. You know, like there's everything is so fluid. I know that there's an urgency to get the country open. I know there's an urgency to get the economy open. Um, motorsports is 
in that same urgency that much like any, you know, I, I know that they're a, that NASCAR in particular is the big league and, and then IndyCar is a smaller league and then sports car racing is smaller. And then you have your local circuits, which are the next le- smaller level, but they are essentially operated like mom and pop shops. Yeah. Um, they, they don't have, they don't, work like an NBA team does or an NFL team does. These guys, if you are Rick Hendrick, you are on your own to decide to race in NASCAR or not. And if you decide to race in NASCAR, how you pay for it is entirely up to you, is entirely left to you. And the only subsidy that really comes from the the governing body which in this case is nascar is they they you get a percentage of the tv package money and that is they get 25 percent. it is a good amount of money um but they don't get it until five days well the network doesn't even pay nascar the money until five days after the the race runs so um there's only been four races run and the last race run was march 8th so nobody's gotten any money since the beginning of March. And, you know, the other way you pay for your, your teams is through sponsorship. Well, e- even the, the biggest and best and healthiest of sponsors are not turning over their installment payments because it's like, we don't know what's going to happen. We're not going to give you this check for $3 million, you know, to cover April and May because you haven't been on the track you know, since March 8th. So now sponsors are withholding. It's not to say that they're not ever going to pay, but they're withholding that money till they see what happens. But your race team owners still have, you know, hundreds of employees to pay. And, um, the longer this goes on in racing and, and I'm sure that there are many examples, not just racing, but, in in particular, in racing, the longer this goes on, the harder it's going to be for, for some of the smaller teams to survive. And even the bigger teams are going to, you know, they're going to come back leaner. They're going to, you know, they're, they're going to have some financial struggles because some of those sponsors are probably going to have some outs that are going to say, well, we didn't get this. And, you know, because um, when they do come back, it's going to be without fans and it's probably just going to be one day shows as someone, you know, you being based in Alabama, um, you know, Talladega is a three to four day show and the network pays for three and four days. The sponsor pays is expecting to be shown on the track Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, and so now when you come back and you're forcing everything into just one day with very limited people allowed in the arena, in the venues and a short, window period i don't necessarily know that sponsors are going to say that they're getting what they paid for yeah it's you know i had this conversation about college football yesterday it's Uh it's very similar because college football says so if you're cbs for example and you have the Uh you have the sec contract okay you know when you get alabama tennessee if if what you get is alabama tennessee and there's nothing but the players and the coaches in an empty Neyland stadium for yes. example that it, there's no cheerleaders there's no band there's no fans there's none of the cutaway stuff to give it the pageantry yes. and the yes. color and you don't have smoky and big al running around right and so you if you're the tv network 
There's this assumption among fans, and I'm not criticizing fans of football or auto racing or anything, but there's this assumption among fans that, hey, as long as the game happens or the race happens, the TV people are happy. Well, yeah. they'd rather have something other than nothing. Yes, but, but I think they'd rather the whole thing. But they have attorneys, too, and their attorneys yeah. are going to say, hey, uh, you might want to renegotiate your price because yeah. this is not what you bargained for. You bargained for the whole enchilada, and what you're getting is just the meat that goes inside. You're not getting any of the cheese. You're not getting the tortillas. You're not getting the sauce. You're just getting some meat, and the meat's better than nothing, but... You don't want to get the meat and pay for the rest of the meal. And so yeah. I think I think there's just this and, – and everyone, like you said, everyone is so hungry for sports to come back. God knows I am. I'm sure you are too. But at the same time, it's – this thing is so complicated. It's so fluid. To, to use your example about you know, things changing over the hour, just look at yesterday, the University of Connecticut – uh, president or chancellor, whatever title that he has, the head guy at the University of Connecticut, he speaks to a journalism class and he says, I don't think any sports are going to happen in, in the fall of 2020. And of course, it immediately causes an outrage. And, and he, five minutes later, backs, walks those comments down. And then later that night, issues a statement that essentially says, well, it's what I said, but you got to understand that I won't be the one making the call. These governing uh -huh. bodies will make the call. So it's it's all these things. It, it's... Uh, I, I'm kind of rambling a little bit. It's 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 what's fascinating about it is is yeah that would would NBC or whatever network has uh, the 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 race on Sunday want that race yeah but this but there's more to it than if you, if you don't get the qualifying day and you don't get yeah. the if you don't get the, you don't get, the sub circuits you don't get practices yeah. and you don't get Xfinity and yeah and you know and there's another complicating factor in that NASCAR has two broadcast partners Fox and um, NBC Sports so Fox has from Daytona into June um, and then NBC Sports takes over at the end of June and now you're not going to get back racing so so Fox is all already lost eight races um, that NASCAR promises are going to be rescheduled but it, when they go racing they're there it's not like they're going to be able to pick up with the next race on the schedule because that state may not be open for them to go race at so now you may have to completely reshuffle the schedule which is what they're doing because um, my example on how everything changes so last Late last week, the governor of Florida said he had spoken to Lisa France Kennedy from NASCAR, and he said, look, you guys are welcome to c come down here and race. And it, it, it is an easy situation um, because the cars were already ready before racing stopped. The teams were in Atlanta, ready to race in Atlanta, and the cars for Homestead the next week were ready to be built. Well, I mean, were built. So... The governor of Florida says, hey, you guys are welcome to come down here. So on Friday, NASCAR says, okay, we're looking at racing without fans. And everybody knows that Florida says that they're open, they're open for business to NASCAR. So all of a sudden, it's, okay, we're going to Homestead. We're, we're going to race in Homestead. That's where we're going to reopen. It's going to be like the second or third week of May. And then teams started to push back and say, how are we getting to Homestead? You know, like, we got to get on planes. We have to do all these things to get down to Miami. And then 
By the time Monday rolled around, South Carolina had started to open. Georgia had started to open. Tennessee had started to open. And so now it's, you know, six times it changed between Friday and Monday on when NASCAR could get back to racing and where it will get back racing. So now... You really can. You absolutely can. These teams have the capability. They can get to Atlanta. They can unload the car. They were just, that's where they were when this whole thing froze. They can get there. They can race for one day. They can come back. Or they could go to Darlington. Well, Darlington was supposed to be a playoff race. And that was supposed to be on NBC. So it then it becomes, well, what do you do now? You know, and so now everything's going to be out of order. Racing's going to come back and it's going to be at the end of Fox's schedule. So there's so many puzzle pieces in play and it's so messy and it's so urgent to the health of these teams to get going. And NASCAR has to be the leader. Yeah. Some like, the leader for auto racing. I'm not saying for sports. I, I think mean, it I think it has a chance to be the leader for sports, Jenna, but go ahead. I'm sorry. It could. It could. I mean it could because um they they don't really have much, you know, teams are dying and they and they've got to get rolling. That's but, what that's what caught me in your in your column. Yeah. You used the word desperate and and, yeah. and I thought, oh, that's an interesting word because you don't see that word from the NBA. You don't see that word no, from Major no. League Baseball. The word desperate, it, like the, you, you said teams won't make it. And, and so yeah. they, they have yeah. to race. They have to race. Like a, a championship winning crew chief who just signed a new contract last year with a top organization yesterday on Instagram had a post and he listed all of the items he is selling off. And it was like the golf cart, his golf cart, his simulator, which is what these guys are using for iRacing. It was his Peloton. I mean, all of his toys are sold, are are listed for sale. And I messaged him and I said, what's up? And he said, um, we got pay cuts yesterday and our bonus program was eliminated. And he said, and he said, I'm screwed. And, you know, it's hard to feel sorry for someone who's made X amount of millions, but nobody's not affected. I mean, whatever, you know, however much money was just cut from him, he's going to feel it in some way. And he's feeling it in a way that he's, he's pinched or panicked enough that he's selling everything extra, everything not considered essential. And you're like, Wait a second. This guy won a championship and is in a brand new contract. But So you know, it tells you a whole lot about the guys that didn't just win a championship yes. and they're brand new or or are just kind of sc- Or work for a small team that yeah. only has five employees. You know, this is a guy that works for a four car four car organization. <laughs> and, um, and and his team was the last team in in the sport to, to issue pay cuts. I mean, they made it. That team made it one month, and they take some pride in being the last team to have issued pay cuts. Others have had furloughs. Others have had layoffs. And the the, the almost every team is based in North Carolina, and North Carolina is on a stay at home. The race shops are not considered essential businesses, so you have the double problem of even if these other states say yes come race we will take you with no fans the governor of north carolina has got to permit them to go and get the go open the shops and oh wow i hadn't even thought of that yeah yeah and so that hasn't happened yet so even if darlington were to say you guys could be here next sunday because that 
because the way George is moving quick and not and South Carolina is moving quick and and Atlanta and Darlington are both two tracks that theoretically NASCAR could move fast enough and they could be there next a week from Sunday and that all could be thrown out the window if the governor of North Carolina says sorry you can't open your shops you tweeted yeah. about a day ago that teams would need nine days to be ready. Yeah, not, they need nine days to be ready is what the teams say. So, I, I mean, I know that people look at this, and I'm not going to pretend to be a, an auto racing aficionado. I'm, I'm curious. I would assume that teams would go bare bones in terms yes. of uh, in terms of their crews. What 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 does bare bones con, uh, Im- comprise? I mean, what is what are we looking at? What's what's if in in pre pre COVID days? You're going to Darlington. Let's just use it as an example. What is a typical crew, and what would you anticipate a no fans, COVID, uh, bare bones crew to look like? Well, that's what they're working on now. Uh, That's what NASCAR is working on now. So you already have roster limits. Um, I I I don't know exactly what the roster limit is. It's maybe seven traveling guys, um, five over-the-road guys, your PR person, your team administrator, um, your team owner. You know, you probably are bringing in on your, quote, roster anywhere from 15 to 20 people, um, typically. NASCAR is not only going to dramatically reduce that number, but there's some talk of, you know, you then have on race day, you have an additional group of people who come in who are your pit crews and that you know not every pit crew member also works on the car during you know some of these guys are are like former football players who have other jobs and for extra money they change tires on sundays and things like that and so um they they're talking about there's an idea being floated of them doing away with pit stops and that now you don't need your pit crew to come so that it's so it's so dangerous to report anything right now yeah. because what you report in the morning may be completely off the table by the afternoon it's not to say that it was wrong in the morning i know it's just that it was it, it just was what was being talked about and looked at and explored in the morning and um i i think if they had to do it um i i know they're going to have dramatically reduced rosters i know that everything is going to you know they're, they're not even sure that media is going to be allowed in um I think that you're probably looking at probably five to seven people with the driver. Yeah, I should have said this earlier. I'm glad you said that. I've I've learned to do this during these this COVID <laughs> times because this is a podcast. It's not live radio. Jenna and I are taping. It is uh it's Wednesday, April the twenty second, ten eighteen Eastern, nine eighteen yeah. Central yeah. in the morning. So if we so both come say- back later. <laughs> if we like sound like yeah. if you hear this at 4 p.m. and we sound like idiots, well, you'll know what happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. Come back later. I'll tell you what's changed. <laughs> beyond the the desperate need to put money in pockets and to run races and to get revenue, even if a partial revenue flowing, it it does pose an opportunity for a sport that is like a lot of sports, still you know f- sort of fighting for its piece of the sports pie. Let's face it, if there's a race in Darlington next Sunday or whatnot, a lot of people like me who typically 
would don't e- watch the race. Would either yeah. not watch the race or I might see it and look at it for two minutes. Hell, I might watch the whole thing now. Yeah. I mean, there's a real opportunity to win some eyeballs, to to draw some new fans, people to be excited about, hey, it's sports. I mean, look at the I mean, it's and a- degenerate gamblers who are dying to bet on something. Exactly. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's a separate issue that you face. It's like, if you're going to do this, and I, I don't think they're going to be racing in a week. I, I think probably the weekend of the 15th, 16th is, that that's my gut, is the weekend of the 15th, 16th is when they realistically will be back and it'll be either Darlington or Atlanta, somewhere they can drive to and they, they don't have to drive a lot of people and you don't have to get hotel rooms. Um, but if these states move much quicker, you know, if the pace picks up, that could change. I mean, that could totally change. And, and maybe they're on track the 8th, 9th. I don't know. Um, but the problem is, is when they do it, they better be good. Because if they're the only thing happening, and it's without fans, and it's a and it's a different product, and it's the only product, it's the only sporting event going on, so people are tuning in, then it better be good. You better have the process and the procedures down. If you're doing away with pit stops, then you better have you know a plan in place because it's the same thing that happened with iRacing. The first two iRacing events were for NASCAR were incredible. More than a million people watched. And part of that was because there was nothing else on TV and part of it was that your NASCAR your, your NASCAR fans were dying to watch something, but by the third race, they were crashing all over the place, and it was like, okay, I don't know how many casual sports viewers are going to keep tuning in, and the fourth race, they were under a million people, the, the shine is starting to wear off, and people are still watching. I mean, 970,000 people is not terrible, but it shows you that the novelty is gone and that you can't, unless the product is really, really good, no matter how desperate people are for sports, they're not going to tune in, especially as it gets warmer. As it gets warmer and people can go outside and, and you know, they're not going to say, oh, there's sports back and it's a NASCAR race. Yeah. Let's check it out. Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting and understand your market. A leader in condo financing in Oxford and the flow down option where you can lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford. Also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window. And GM is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. VisitOxfordMS.com is the website. Click the very top so you have to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also, ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now 
in Oxford between Tipe Roulette and some other options that you have. Again, visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662-767-4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call. You can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've been picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change. They want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more. Text or call 662-681-6241. Jenna, how do you have a 500-mile race with no pit stops? Well, I don't know if I don't know if it would be a 500-mile race. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know. So we're back to we're back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's it's not what it's not what you you it, know it, it, you, you yeah. signed up to broadcast the Coca-Cola 600, yeah. not the Coca-Cola 120. Yeah. Now I don't think that would happen, but I just I just don't you know. But Charlotte is a, a little bit of an easier challenge. Everyone lives here. One of the problems is two of the problems are transportation and accommodations. I mean, if you go down to Homestead, and if for some reason you need you need to do, stay over, uh, well, first of all, you'd have to fly. But second of all, y- you would if you had to stay over. A lot of these teams put two crew members to a room and that's not exactly social distancing and uh you know so there's so many things that are like all over the map so charlotte is very easy because almost everyone lives here so it's like okay you go to the track you do your job you go home and if you have to bring in the six if you have to bring in the extras and you do the live pit stops um to figure it out i i won't be surprised if when they do go back that it's a requirement that guys are wearing masks in the garage at minimum when they're working on the cars because you're not six feet apart when you're working on you know when you're working on cars or you're you're pushing them to the grid you know there's three people on the back of the car pushing it Um, and um you know i think that you'll have to wear masks i'm not sure that the garage will be open to anyone besides the competitors which, which in that case means media um which means you typically fans at a race garage access is is gold it's it's you know what every fan wants but you're not going to have fans so it's going to look a lot like just a a, a, a closed testing day with, with like the ghost town feel of it is going to feel like just a bare bones operation. The trick is to not make the product look like that. Yeah. It's, I'm just kind of thinking about it. I mean, I'm, I'm be honest. I'm fascinated when they, when they do it at you talk about yeah. the novelty of it. I would, I would absolutely be locked in the first race or two. Now they'd have to, but it better be good to make you, to make you watch the second race. Yeah. It would have to be good. Um, yeah. But I, I would be fascinated. It, it's one of those, and I think, I mean, I told my listeners the other day, you know, the Korean Baseball League is getting ready to get started, and they have a caveat. Hey, one outbreak in this 10-team league, and we shut yeah. everything down for 18 days. And I, I said, everybody needs to pick a favorite Korean Baseball League team and just <laughs> just jump right in. And I, and I, I think that's, 
like I firmly believe a lot of these leagues are waiting for someone else to do it. That maybe the yeah. you know maybe the NBA or whatever is waiting to see whether it's the PGA Tour or whether it's the NASCAR series or whatever to do it. Do it a couple of weeks. Let's see what it looks like. You guys work the kinks out, yeah. And then if something goes yeah. wrong and, and someone tests positive, they can say, "Yeah, we just determined yeah. we couldn't do it." Yeah. I'm curious inside NASCAR people. I don't know whether you've gotten anybody to admit this to you on or even off the record. I know there obviously is is a desperation to to get back on the track and make money. Is there concern among people about the virus itself, or is that something that they're like, I, I'm, I'm just, I can't think about that. I've, I've, we've got a race. Sure, I do think that people are concerned about the virus. Uh, I do think that people are concerned about safety, and I and I think that they're that they're hopeful that whatever rules NASCAR puts into place are the um, are, are going to keep them safe, but they. That all of those thoughts and sentiments and concerns are outweighed by we will do whatever it takes to get back racing. Now, you know, the other thing is NASCAR has never had a break. You know, this eight weeks that they're off like right now, they have never had eight weeks off. They're they're an 11th month series. And when that 11 months is when the racing part is over, you get like. Christmas and New Year's off, maybe the first week of January, and then it is right back to sponsor work. I mean, even though the cars aren't on the track until February, they are up and running, you know, by the second week of January, hardcore. And um, now they're sitting around with eight weeks of time. Some people are not being paid. Some, some crew people are not being paid. Some crew people have taken significant pay cuts. Some drivers have been asked if their salary can be withheld. You know, it, it's up to them whether or not they agree with, to allow the team owner to hold back on a payment because they have a contract that they can force, a drive, force an owner to, to hold to. But the bottom line is these guys are bored. Their money, their their income has been affected. They've never in their in their professional lives had this much free time, and they're like, "Just tell us how we can get back to racing, and we will do it. Whatever rules you give us, we'll do it." In many ways, it's reflective of the national discussion that we have about the economy versus the virus. Yeah, yeah. It's it, the, well, it's the, except at the except at the protests, nobody looks to be social distancing there. <laughs> no, that's true. So you're there. You're there in North Carolina. Uh, I know you've had to put your your news hat on, which is not difficult for a journalist like you. When you were out covering the story, what are the storylines that sort of strike you? Well, I don't. So the, what I do for news is it's kind of grueling and depressing. Is I work a shift where we have a. We have a breaking news story that just is uh, updated 24 hours. You know, every time something new comes in, um, we update the story with this new item. And they're, they're small snippets. They're ideally meant for broadcasters and radio people to read. But it's global. I'm getting them from all over. So I work a desk shift where I'm putting together this story called The Latest. And the contributions are coming in, and it's like... Italy's death toll has reached, or it's like, another 600 people died overnight in Greece, according to the National Institute of Health, or Boris Johnson has been moved to ICU. I mean, it's just, I'm just getting slaughtered nonstop <laughs> with, like, 
bad news. <laughs> None of it's ever good. You know, like nothing's positive is coming in. And and I do this for several hours a few times a week. And when you're done, you're like cross-eyed and you're depressed. You're like, wow. I don't know how this world is going to survive after you've read everything. But then, but then the reality is, is that, um, you know, Germany is starting to open up already. Um, and, and, and they had much stricter lockdowns than the U S did. That was like a nationwide lockdown. Um, and, and you're looking at some of these other countries that are kind of slowly reemerging and getting back to life. So I know that it can be done it doesn't look like the U.S. is going to do it that way. We're going to do it, it piecemeal, state by state, and we're going to go NASCAR racing. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that the minute that the governor of North Carolina says race teams, all they have to do is go in and get the cars. Because if you can work in Atlanta, and so if you can get, get the cars out and go to Atlanta and South Carolina, there's no reason you can't take those cars into garage bays at Darlington or Atlanta Motor Speedway and just call that your race shop. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I know this sounds a little flippant, but... Could they just go do that and kind of ask for forgiveness later? I don't know. I'm, I mean, and I don't even know how many people it takes to get the cars out of the, you know, to, you got to load them up into the hauler and then you got to pull the hauler out. What, four or five people does that take? But I mean, if you can get the cars out, I just don't see any reason why the governor of South Carolina is not going to say, sure, put one car in every third garage stall. You know, you'd have to utilize, and, and let's make those the race shops. Yeah. You know, um, because I know that when these teams go on these three-week uh, West Coast road trips, I know, I know for fact there have been times when they've had to like repair, they've had to make car repairs. Of course. Like leaving, like Las Ve like leaving Las Vegas to go to Phoenix, where they're like in a Walmart parking lot working on a car. You know, to like smooth out some fab damage or something so i i just am not convinced that it, if 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 they can just get the cars they can get rolling if they're not allowed in the shops if they just have to be able to get their things out and then they can find workarounds has it been more difficult for you to do your job or are you still able are you able to get guys on the phone now pretty easily yeah, I mean, everything. everything's text and, you know, social media and DM and, you know, nobody's doing anything right <laughs> right now of worth. You can, you can get people pretty easily because they're available. Um, I haven't talked to Rick Hendrick. I've, I've asked to talk to him a few times. I've not gone, I've not taken the step yet to text him. I, you know, I've tried to do it the right way and go through his people. But Rick Hendrick is a guy who all of his business that allows him to go racing is car dealerships. And no, you know, people aren't out buying cars right now. So here's a guy who's taking, you know, even though we, we think of him as the quote, the, you know, the wealthiest team in NASCAR, well, all of his sources of income have fallen to hell and you know then there's roger penske who's you know allegedly a billionaire well all of his trucking operations have been shut down around the world for months so you know the people who raced as a hobby and had other businesses are struggling and the people who raced as business and didn't have other jobs are struggling 
So, you know, you've got to balance it. I've sort of not pushed the Rick Hendrick issue because I know he's trying to keep probably a hundred something dealerships afloat on top of worrying about his race teams. You talked about the iRacing a little bit, and I, yeah. I was following you on, on Twitter during the iRacing, and there was a moment there where I said, she just officially got sick of this. And and it, it took on a kind of a life of its own, didn't it? I it mean, did. It, 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 did. it became this uh, – it went from being kind of this novel, cool idea to, yeah. uh, man, I don't know, this this kind of jumped the shark. Yeah, and, and it's not iRacing's fault. Um, you know, two drivers didn't – you know, didn't use their best judgment. Um, Bubba Wallace rage quit um, a, a game. I, I don't. I shouldn't call it a game. A race. A NASCAR I race. When after he got wrecked, he said, "That's it. I'm done." And he quit. And he had sold a sponsor for the race that I think was paying him. I don't know anywhere. Maybe maybe as much as ten thousand dollars, and the sponsor is like, "We're not paying you. Like you just quit. We don't like quitters." And he, so then it was like, "Ow!" There's like real life consequences. And then one week later, Kyle Larson was not even in a televised i race. He was in just this thrown together race for fun that some NASCAR drivers were participating in on late Easter Sunday night. It was like nine o'clock at night, and um. And he used a racial slur. It wasn't on TV, but because of the the novelty of it, and because people are sort of into the getting on the Twitch app and being able to listen to them and listen to them like mock each other and yell at each other and banter and and all the funny things that are happening, because that was discovered in this process. People heard Kyle Larson use the slur, and then it was on YouTube, and then it exploded, and yeah. then the next, and then all of his sponsors said, "We're not going to sponsor you anymore." And then he was fired, and now everybody was like, "Ew, iRacing," which is not iRacing's. You know, iRacing had nothing to do with that, and NASCAR had nothing to do with that. That was the behavior of two drivers, but now everybody just kind of was like, "Ugh." And um, and then it got political because Fox didn't want another wreck fest. Um, so they shrunk the field. And in shrinking the field, they kicked out the, the smaller guys. You know, they wanted the big names in there. They want Jimmy Johnson in the race. And he's an admittedly terrible NASCAR iRacer. <laughs> and, and you've got guys who are like good eye racers but they don't their names aren't household names and they don't you know they don't drive for big teams and so to cut the field they just dropped off the, the that bottom half of guys those bottom six seven eight guys and those guys were like what like what and so then it became political now everybody was like turned off Conversely, though, IndyCar is doing exceptionally well with the iRacing. Their races are very smooth, very good, very competitive, look a lot like the real thing, and they don't have any problems. They have not had, you know, they've not had the um, political problems. Their drivers are on good behavior. Um, they don't have the audience that NASCAR does because they're the smaller series. And IMSA, the sports car series, their league has no problems. And they hosted an event that was not – it wasn't on TV. It was um, last Thursday. So you and I are talking Wednesday. So it was – eight days ago, and they, it was only streamed, and they had a massive field, like 60-something guys, and they had a great race, and there were no issues, and people are into it. So, um, 
it's almost like NASCAR, you know, they try, they, they were the first ones out of the gate, they put it together, the other leagues followed, and then NASCAR just showed why they can never have nice things. <laughs> like, <laughs> it always goes wrong. It starts out good, <laughs> and then it always goes wrong. <laughs> you... you you uh you provided some context for that moment on on Easter Sunday night. You 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 know the driver. I think you said you mm-hmm. know you know his wife. I know his whole family. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. You, you you weren't apologizing for him. You weren't excusing it at all, but you provided some context because sometimes context is good and some of the backlash you got from the context it was disheartening for for me. It it I'm sure it was for you too. I mean, and look, it's all part of the job. No, I, don't, I, I didn't get it on that one. It wasn't that tweet that got it, you know. But it, it but like, pick any other random tweet. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I didn't mean to interrupt. I, you know, I think that you know, I don't think that Kyle Larson is a racist, and I don't think people who know him know him or believe him to be a racist. Um, I do think that that word was in his vocabulary. Um, Unfortunately, that word is in many racers' vocabulary at lower levels. Um, And then by the time they make it into a bigger level, you've usually gone through some media training where it's been bashed out of your head. But the word is not used maliciously in lower level racing. It sort of means, and this is not how Kyle Larson used it, but when they say it as a verb, they mean like snookered. Like, um, and I'm, it's not okay that nobody should be using that word in any context whatsoever. But I, you know, Kyle Larson got to NASCAR at 18, 19 years old. He rose through the ranks of sprint car racing so quickly. Like his childhood was racing against adults around the country at dirt tracks. And these, these guys, they assimilate to what's happening, you know, they're 14 years old and assimilating to what 35-year-old men are doing. And, um, you know, I I have had plenty of people who said they told him for years, get that word out of your vocabulary, and uh, he got bit on on Easter night on Sunday. He used it late, you know, late at night. I don't know what the circumstances are. I, I know he obviously regrets it he knew it immediately because i've heard from people who within five minutes of him saying it he was already calling them and 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 think and texting and things like that but um i i don't think he's a racist and i i just think that that's a word that is used at various levels of racing not in a malicious way but still has not been killed off the Oxford Exxon Podcast is brought to you in part by Dead Soxy. If you're already a Dead Soxy customer, first, thank you. Secondly, here's all you have to do to uh, introduce more people to Dead Soxy and get free Dead Soxy stuff of your own. Uh, take your personal referral code from Dead Soxy, send it to your friends and family via email, text, or social. And uh, for every new customer you produce, uh, you'll both get $10. They get $10 in Free socks, you get $10 in free socks. You can keep uh, earning freebie socks for life because there's no limit on how much you can earn. Just share your link and collect the rewards. People helping people as we all should, especially right now at Dead Soxy. It's deadsoxy.com. We're also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. 
It is located at 320 East Pearl Street. It's uh, the perfect place to enjoy lunch, dinner, or Sunday brunch. And it also uh, specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. So if you're planning a birthday party, a graduation celebration, a rehearsal dinner, or a wedding reception, you want to be able to enjoy the moment, and the Iron Horse Grill is your answer. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250- to 500-person wedding or even a 3,500-person gala. It's one of the largest beverage caterers in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. Call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs. Knock that off your worry list and let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. All you do when you go in and see Gene and Sandy is tell them you heard about Grenada Nissan on our podcast or at RebelGrove.com, and you'll get Rebel Savings on top of the already great deals at Grenada Nissan. Uh, we're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with a Nest and Wild mattress. Nest and Wild is a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last. A lot of online brands sell an 8-inch or 10-inch mattress with less support and durability, but not Nest and Wild. From the twin to the California king, every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, 100% American-made, and the pricing is competitive when compared to the rest of the mattress companies. And in fact, we'll make it even better because we're going to give you a promo code that I'll tell you about in a bit. It's a no-risk decision. Nest and Wild believes in their product so much, they're offering a 99-night trial on every mattress. So try it out. Sleep on it for 99 nights. And if you don't like it, you can return it. Nestandwild.com. Order your mattress. Use the podcast code REBEL20. That's REBEL20. And get 20% off your purchase. And uh, your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Last couple of things with you, and I really appreciate all the time. You've been great. Um, so, again, it's uh, it's now 9.39 Central Time uh, on, the, <laughs> on the morning of, uh, of, of the 22nd of April. Is it the, tw- is it the 22nd? I, that's, that's what my computer tells me. I, it feels like the 48th of April, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, trust Apple right now. Um, so you, you anticipate racing coming back. Just your gut feeling, will it be successful? Um, yeah, I mean, it'll be successful because the teams will get, you know, the teams will get paid. Um, I made a joke with Dale Jr. last week that I said, what is the difference between racing without fans and racing on a Monday after a rain delay? You know, nobody comes back anyway the next day. You know, I've been to Daytona 500, sold out Daytona 500s that got rained out. It's happened, it's only, actually, it's only happened twice, and I had the fortune of being at both of them. <laughs> and you come back the next day, and maybe a quarter of the people are still there. I've come back to Charlotte Motor Speedway the day after a rain out, and there's, you know... 
a thousand people in the stands. So is it really going to look that different than what a rainout looks like? Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, you don't need, NASCAR doesn't need the fans in the stands to put on a successful show. What they're going to need is for the show to be good. If they go to a bad mile and a half track and the racing is spread out and nobody's passing for the lead and we're just watching cars go in circles and their live pit stops are reduced or whatever, that's not going to be a success. That's not, that's not going to be sustainable. They've got to mic up some drivers. They've got to do some things that, that it's kind of like... Major- yeah, you got to go outside the box. Yeah. yeah, Major League Baseball did this in the spring and I thought it was brilliant. They... You know, and if they come back in some fanless capacity, they're going to have to do this to make the games entertaining. You've got to put mics on the players. You've got to, you've got to create ways for there to be some different type of interaction than than, yeah. the, than the fan just like you said, just watching cars go around. Yeah. In and ovals. that's why I racing worked. That's why I racing worked is yeah. because you had this access. Not only were you able to listen in on your computer to seven, eight guys at once or however many you want to listen in at once. But some of them were tweeting, you know, they were like, you know, Alex Bowman was like in the middle of the race. He tweeted a picture (laughs) of the dog, his dog in the sim seat. He's like, here's why I crashed. You know, know, and that's why it took off because you were getting, you were getting to see these guys in a competitive environment in real time being themselves and then on the nascar end of it once it turned sour people's feelings started to change towards it but the indycar side is still great it's you know it's still working tremendously on indycar they just don't have the same size audience and that's why i keep saying nascar has to be first they've got to be the leader for u.s motorsports because once nascar goes racing then indycar is going to be able to go racing then imsa is going to be able to go racing and short tracks across the country will start to open and and they'll follow nascar's lead uh, and see how it goes but i think we're we're going to find out sooner than later. I don't know if you saw this. There's a racetrack in South Dakota. I did see this. Saw it yeah. on your Twitter feed. Yeah, that says it's racing Saturday night with 700 fans. So, um, even though that has nothing to do with any of us, it may affect us because how that goes yep. and if it works or doesn't work, and if all of a sudden there's an outbreak yep. 14 days from Saturday night, I, you know, then things change dramatically again. It's so true. It's, it's, uh, it's why I said that yesterday on, on a podcast. I can't remember which one, but I said we all have to pick a, a South Korean baseball team and, <laughs> you know, just to, because we like to cheer for something, you know, right? And, but we have to hope that it all goes well. We have to hope that there is no outbreak yeah. in that yeah, league. Yeah, yeah, the minute there's a second wave, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, the NBA had one ca- one case, they shut the whole thing down, that was the domino that knocked everything over for everyone. I don't know what happens, you have one case in NASCAR, Do you, I don't know if they're going to shut the whole garage down, If they, are, are you just going to send that person home, but through the tracing that's not what you're supposed to do i don't i don't know i don't know how it's going to work it's what's i know nobody wants a second shutdown but as we've said a thousand times everything's fluid so i'll ask this uh, and i'm not at all comparing nascar to the korean baseball league so please don't take it that way <laughs> but there will be people who will tune in in a couple of weeks whether it's darlington or atlanta or wherever they will tune in and say okay i haven't watched nascar in a long time 
I don't see Dale Jr. I don't see Jeff Gordon. But I'm gonna watch. Well, he'll this. be in the booth. Jeff Gordon will be in the booth. <laughs> Jeff Gordon will be in the booth, but his just, his car won't be rolling around with him in it. So they're gonna say, "Okay, I, I want to watch this, but it's more fun to watch this if I have a, a driver or two to cheer for." So uh, you're probably gonna. Yeah, I, I'm not. You might not care, be crazy about this, but give me some some maybe some young drivers that are uh, uh, kind of personable that that are up and coming that maybe. When fans say, "Hey, I'm just going to pick a car and I'm going to cheer for that car," just some some drivers that that they might end up being on the cutting edge of something. Well, uh, this doesn't answer your immediate question, but you know, this is supposed to be Jimmy Johnson's last season. Um, whether or not it is going to be his last season, I think is going to depend on how many races they get in and if he can contractually still leave. Um, if he can contractually still retire without competing all 36 races, which NASCAR does say they're going to get all 36 races in. Um, and he hasn't won a race in uh, almost three years. So, uh, you know, he's definitely someone to root for. Everybody likes to see a champion, and he's a good person. Everyone likes to see a champion go out um, go out strong. Um Chase Elliott is is NASCAR's new most popular driver. He took that mantle from Dale Jr. Uh, people really seem to like him. Uh, I like Ryan Blaney a lot. He's a young kid who drives for Team Penske and just got a new contract, so he's going to be there a while. He doesn't, you know, these younger guys don't win much. All the wins the past year, few, two years have gone to Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, and whether or not you like Kyle Busch and want to root for him or, you know, your, your little kids are probably going to root for him in the M&M's car, but not all adults like him because he's <laughs> abrasive. Yeah. Um, but, but he's a damn good racer and he's someone who had never iRaced before or, or who had never been a regular iRacer who has jumped into this iRacing and has gotten better every week and even raced in the IndyCar iRace a week ago. So he has proven to be adaptable at every everything um alex bowman i racing is showing a personality in alex bowman that nobody really was aware of um and then you've got you know a guy like timmy hill who no one has ever even heard of before but he wandered into the media center during the rain delay at the daytona 500 and everyone was like what are you doing? Like nobody had ever seen a driver just come into the media center in the middle of like the Daytona 500 in a rain delay. And he was like, the Bojangles stand is out of chicken. I came to see if there's anything to eat in here. And the media was like, we love you, Timmy Hill. And, and then he went and won an I race. And, you know, and he's racing against Denny Hamlin in a 40 something thousand dollar simulator. And Timmy Hill's racing at a, desk in his guest bedroom with a steering wheel mounted on it so there's a lot of good stories out there there's a lot of younger guys that are that are just getting their break because of the retirements of some of the big stars um Bubba Wallace is fun to watch. He's got a little bit of a temper problem. So, yeah, as I mentioned at the top of this, the, you know, he rage quit in iRace and gotten some hot water for that. So you never know what he's going to do. Daniel Suarez apparently has a temper problem because he's been parked twice in iRaces for intentionally wrecking cars, which I, you know, seems kind of silly that real life <laughs> rules are applying to a video game. 
but they, the i racing people take it serious they yeah. want a real product yeah. so there's got there's guys to tune into and, and check out and 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 it's a broad spectrum do you want a big money do you want a guy from a big team or do you want to root for the underdog do you want a veteran or do you want one of these young kids you know do you like are you rooting because of how the car looks are you rooting because you happen to shop at that store that it sponsors him you know there's there's lots of things that can draw you in um and there, there are lots of storylines once this gets going again it's great stuff i, I really appreciate it i hope no that, worries i hope that uh the hope you stay safe and same to you and healthy through the quarantine stuff i'll be fascinated to see whether they let reporters like you that have been tremendous parts of of these beats if you will how they i'm curious to see like when sec football rolls around do they they let yeah Yeah. do they let us around the players at practice do they yeah i mean do do we how do we how do we do all that it was like you know before they canceled before they suspended the season they were still planning to race that first weekend both indycar and nascar were planning to race march 15th and they had all I don't know exactly what NASCAR's rules were because I was at the IndyCar season opener at the time. But IndyCar had said 10 people per, you know, 10 or 14 people per car, whatever it was. You had to come and get a wristband. You had to fill out a medical form. You had to get your temperature taken when you walked through the gates. And they were they were picking the small group of media that was going to be allowed in, but there was not going to be any person to person access. Everything was going to either be done by conference call or zoom. And I do know that NASCAR was the same. There was not going to be any garage access for media and no drivers were going to be coming into the media center and you were going to do it by conference call. So um, I imagine that's what it's probably going to look like when it resumes. There's not going to be the ability to just walk out into the garage and say, hey, Kevin Harvick, you got a minute? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's not going to happen for a good long while. And, and those days of sticking, a, sticking a, a player on a chair and, you know, 45 adults surrounding him <laughs> with microphones, I think we're going to be a long way away from that. <laughs> And that's that, that might be a good thing actually yeah. some of those some of those scrums were uh listen they were moderately listen, I, uncomfortable i cover some i cover some races that bring in some european i cover a 24-hour race every year that brings in some european journalists that don't shower for those 24 hours <laughs> <laughs> i am okay not getting in the scrum anytime soon I, but I, if they if if they do let media in and send us back, I ordered a checkered flag face mask, so I will be ready. That's that's that was pretty creative. I I, I know you got to go, and I'm going to let you go. I'm I'm curious though because you and I knew each other back when we were just kids, really getting started. Yeah, yeah. Did did, did you always was this was motorsports always no. the, the direction you wanted to go? No, how, how, no. So as you know, you and I covered. You and I covered Auburn together at the time. I was working for the AP. Yeah, you were either at, you were either at Auburn I, or Tuscaloosa most weekends, yeah, I and I was at Auburn. So yeah, yeah. So I would, yeah. I would see I was you. Young. Yeah, yeah. I was young. I was just out of college, and it was my first. It was my second really substantial job in the AP because I'd come from New Orleans, where I did a little bit of sports, and so now here I was in Alabama, and I was legitimately Alabama and Auburn's 
reporter for the AP. And then I got promoted to Charlotte to cover the Hornets and the Panthers. Yeah. And I was doing a little bit of Wake Forest football and basketball. Because I would see you um, in Charlotte. I was covering the Saints, and I'd see you in Charlotte yeah, when the Saints yeah. would play there. Yeah. Yeah. What happened was I was I was I, I wasn't even here a year. Um, I got here in April of two thousand, and in February two thousand one, Earnhardt was killed, and um, everything was happening. It, it was a nine or ten month death investigation. It turned the sport upside down, and everything was happening in Charlotte. And so, on top of my responsibilities with the Panthers, and um, and NBA and everything else, I was having to cover all of these things that were happening in Charlotte through auto racing. And it just grew and it grew and it, I was doing more and more and more. And then in 2006, ESPN got their TV rights back and they were looking to build their team of who was going to be part of their coverage. And when they came when they came and called me to talk to me about joining them, I had a two-year-old now. I was spread so thin with covering the local pro sports and NASCAR on the national level that I was like, I don't know what to do. And AP was like, okay, that's fine. Then just do water racing. We want you to stay. We'll hire someone else to do the same, to do, I don't know why I said the Saints, to the, do the, the Charlotte job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To do the Charlotte job, and you are going to do just auto racing, which was great for a while. But then, when NASCAR started to go on a downward slide, you know, every uh, you know, the days just started to be depressing. <laughs> like there was, no, there were very few days of good news. But they had turned the, they they were starting to turn the corner the last year and a half. Things felt different. There was some positivity, although their numbers are not back to what they were. It still felt good. It still felt like things were headed in the right direction. Sure. And now you've got this disruption, and you don't know what it's going to look like. Um, but that's how I fell into racing. I always wondered, yeah, because you know, yeah. when when, when uh, I would see you at Auburn and stuff, you know, you were pretty into football and all that I'm stuff. I'm totally but, into football. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> but you know, and it's I'll just, tell, you know, yeah, and and you know this when you cover something, you you know everybody. You know the guy at the at the door that. Lets you, that checks your credential, you know, the pe people at the, in the aisles, you know, you know, everyone. And I transitioned, once I stopped covering the Hornets, I transitioned into a season ticket holder. And the change from just being a fan to being a reporter, like, <laughs> I don't know anyone. And you lose a sense of community in a yeah, way. Yeah. Like, like, you know, it was like, I, I remember I covered, and this has nothing to do with anything, but I have, I was told to cover a tennis, a Fed Cup tennis thing in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And, um, you know, this is not my wheelhouse. What am I doing? And I get there, and I don't know. A, a national paper had, was reporting that Jennifer Capriati had been kicked out of the tournament. And I'm like, what? And I see this guy, Bubba, who works the gates at Panthers games and Hornets games and everything yeah, else. Yeah. And I'm like, he's like, hey, girl, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. Something's happened with Jennifer Capriati. And he was like, oh, yeah, Billie Jean King threw her right off the court. <laughs> and, <it's> like, <laughs> and so when AP's like, well, how do you know? I'm like, Bubba told me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 
That's classic. <laughs> <laughs> and AP's like, Bubba. And you're like, just trust yeah. me, Bubba. I'm like, oh, yeah, Bubba from Show Pros, man. Like, he knows. Like, he works all the events. He knows. He was there. He they, know, they know what to look for. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, you yeah, know, and, sure. and when you, and when you, and when you stop doing that, you totally lose the sense of the community. Like, you don't, like, I don't feel, you know, I go to Hornets games now and I don't feel the the way that it was when you were like walking around with your pass around your neck able to get through the tunnel you know now you're just like well this is your entrance you go to this gate the lady's gonna make sure your ticket says you're allowed in this section and it's like come on lady <laughs> yeah it's such a different it's a different experience yeah, and, and for people is. for people who've just are, are i don't mean just fans but for people who are fans and yeah. who have never been media it it it's yeah. just so different that it's so different. Yeah, it's yeah. it's you know I I'll, I don't even like I, I like I'll take my son to games because he's a big pro sports fan and so I'll do that. But I I don't really like going to games quote as a fan because of what you just described. Yeah, it's so yeah, different from same, what used to. same, same. You know, and I hate you know I I very rarely we we're actually giving up our Hornets that we've made the decision even before the shutdown because the Hornets are in too long of a rebuild and they are not they they have no process for me to trust and so I just finally started saying like like you know this is a semester of college like we're putting into these tickets for me to watch you know. 21 year olds who are not winning with no real game plan on how to make them win so we've given up our tickets but that, that was about the only thing that i was going to anyway as a spectator you know it's just such a different experience from what you're used to at, at, when when you're covering it and you're watching for different things and and you're like so tuned in to now you're sitting there as a fan and you're like on your phone and you're like looking up occasionally yep. and you're socializing and so I don't go to much anymore as a fan. You can do it on TV. It's funny you say that about the Hornets because you know they're they're all watching because everyone's watching uh, Last Dance with the, yeah. the story about the Bulls and of course Jordan's there as the owner yeah. in Charlotte and you know there are people like you season ticket holders and stuff saying I get it you you were a legend in in Chicago can we please make something like that just sort of happen here just sort of happen please yeah please? And, and it just hadn't happened it just it just. He's well, he's the goat as a player, but he, he just hasn't yeah. been able to make it work. Well, you know, he had two things working. He's had a few things working against him. Number one was when he bought the team. He spent a lot of money to buy the team, and um, some of the minority owners told me that after he had, you know, for two hundred seventy-five million, whatever he paid, I don't know. Um, after he put out that cash, he had to take a, you know, he had to take a breather. Like it was, it wasn't like, well, now I can pay LeBron 50 million, you know, like, you know, he just, he had to take a little bit of a breather, but he still had some good teams. Michael's problem was that his first few years as owner, he let all of his buddies run the team and they weren't really like, he, he didn't really have basketball people like the most qualified decision makers and it wasn't until he finally started you know hiring true basketball people who knew what they were doing that they started to um 
make some moves, but then they've been hamstrung, as professional teams get, by bad contracts, by predecessors. So now that, you know, now they're in a money pinch, even if they wanted to spend, you know, who are they going to, they don't have enough to compete for a superstar, and superstars, frankly, don't want to come to Charlotte. You know, you want to go to L.A., you want to go to Miami, you want to, you know, yeah. you want to go to, who the people who want to come to Charlotte are at the end of their career, who have kids, who want a nice little quiet life. You know? Yeah, when you, and when you lose the Kimball Walkers, it's just such a, it's such a gut punch to a... It's a gut punch. Yeah. It's a gut punch. And then you're paying all your money to a Nick Batum who doesn't, well, back when they still played at basketball, he wasn't even getting off the bench and he had the biggest contract yeah. because they had to go with youth so you know we made we had made the decision after Kemba didn't resign we were like all right that's it I'm not you know I I have my daughter's a sophomore in high school so I have two years left I can take that season ticket holder money and save it for college tuition or I can continue going and watching a bad product you know, and it, but it's great when the, you know the big teams come. Yeah. Then you're like, you know, then you do get to see a show. But all the big teams are in the Western Conference, and they only come once, you know, once a year. And you can always just go get tickets for a a, a, a single game. You don't have to. Have, yeah, it's not like yeah. the demand is such that you can't get in. So correct. Yep. So if you really want, like we went on New Year's eve day they had a day game we went on new year's eve day to see the celtics play kemba was here and oh, we yeah. went and we used our tickets but for the most part even before the season was suspended i was selling off my tickets you know trying to just recoup some of the money back um that i paid because i just felt like it wasn't worth my time to drive to the arena, pay $20 for parking, another 35 for my snacks and sodas and, you know, watch, watch a 25 point loss. <laughs> like, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> well, Hey, I really appreciate the time. You gave, you gave me more than an hour. It's great catching up with you. And like I said, hope you stay well, hope you stay you uh, safe. safe you do the same. We'll do it again sometime. I hope. Yeah. I hope you're at live sports soon. I do too. Thanks, Jenna. All right, tell everybody that still remembers me. Hey, I will do it. All right, thank you. All right, see you. Bye. See ya. See ya. Bye. The Oxford Exxon podcast is also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust, based in Madison, Mississippi, they've got clients in more than twenty states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in nineteen ninety seven, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. It's Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N-Trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You get 10% off your first year's fees. We're also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. When this is all over, everyone is going to want to get away. They're going to want to get out of town, get out of their homes. They're going to want to go on a vacation, and you want to book one that will create a lifetime of unique memories, and that's where John comes in. He's part of Virtuoso. It's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows John to supply his clients with added values and unique benefits that are simply not available to other travelers. All you do is you give him a call, you give him an email, and uh, you give him some parameters, you give him a budget, and uh, he'll give you options. You don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services. 
and uh, he's great at what he does. He'll take great care of you. 901-494-3387 or send him an email at jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the comfort of home, all the benefits the big mega banks provide, all the technology and products you can want, all with a personal touch. OUB offers its customers the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa. And with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also have a commercial checking account now paying 1% interest as long as you keep $10,000 in the account. It comes with fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group. They're dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis. Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking and cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 901-365-3447 or email ben, that's B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. Whitney sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes, 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. Thanks to Jenna for giving us that time on the podcast. We'll jump back right into interviews. And here's Ryan Brown with WJOX FM. Ryan Brown joins on the podcast. It's the day before the big draft, Ryan, and uh, your Dolphins, they, they, they probably need a quarterback. There are quarterbacks out there. There's a quarterback out there that you are uh, very familiar with for your work there at WJOX in Birmingham. I suspect I'm going to go out on a limb and guess over the last three or four years, there's been at least once or twice where you have talked about Tua Tungabaloa. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and here he is, probably available for your Miami Dolphins uh, tomorrow night. What are your thoughts? What are your expectations? What are your great fears? Um, well, my great fear is, <laughs> well, I guess my great fear is they draft Justin Herbert instead of Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, th- this could play out a lot of ways. I-, I think Detroit, by the time this thing goes off, you know, one and two are done. Uh, we we know who we're going to go one and two. But by the time this thing goes off, Detroit is either going to take quarterback or have everybody below them convinced they're going to take quarterback. And I don't blame them one bit. That's the way to play that. Um, so my great fear is something happens at three and two is gone. And now the Dolphins say to themselves, look, we've, 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 we've done all this to get quarterback. Herbert's the best quarterback available. Let's take him. I guess my, my, Fear B would be that they actually end up getting to it, whether they have to trade up with Detroit to three, which they've got the ammunition to do that, 
or he's still there at five and they take him. And then everybody's greatest fears are realized that, you know, he's injury prone in college and he's injury prone in the NFL. Um, so those are my two great fears. If you, if you want to know what those are, those are them. And uh, being that it's the Dolphins involved, one of those two things probably happens. <laughs> All right. So Joe Burrow's going number one. That's that's he's going yep. he's going to Cincinnati. That's done. Uh, that that yep. we'll have fifteen minutes of, and Joe Burrow will have earned it fifteen minutes worth of uh, yeah. of of hype uh, tomorrow. He had one of the greatest seasons in the history of college football. So, could that, have, though I think if I think if Tua had been injury free his whole career, I think Tua would be number one to Cincinnati. He's oh, better than Joe Burrow. I do too. No question about yep. it. But if you're Cincinnati, yep. if you're Cincinnati, given everything that Burrow did, given the fact that Burrow is from Ohio. Given yeah. the current environment, given the fact that you, your organization so desperately needs a face, and it can be a local boy, and not only that, but a local boy who has done good, who has given yep. back to Ohio, yep. uh, uh, all that, all of those things, and no brainer. It's a yep. no. Given the fact that Tua does have a hip thing that happened to him, yep. you, yep. if you took Tua and he turned out to be a health risk, and Joe Burrow went to Miami, for example, and was an all an, an all pro Hall of Famer. Your franchise essentially burns to the ground, and you and you're the one that lit it yep. on fire, and you can't afford to do that. So they're going, they're going Burrow at, at one. Washington at two is almost certainly going defense. It certainly sounds like Chase Young is going to be a Redskin. Great pick, I love that guy. Yeah, I do too. He's. Uh, yeah. I heard Lane Kiffin last night on the Scott Van Pelt show just describe him as a different human being, a, a different yeah. big guy, and and yeah, so. Yep. So that gets you to number three, and this is where things get interesting because Detroit sitting there, presumably they don't need a quarterback. I would think they're going to take all 15 minutes and listen. And this is where I wonder, does Miami trade up? Does uh, Las Vegas package a couple of uh, of, of picks and, and move up? And it still feels weird saying that, Las Vegas. But we'll get it, it, it sounded weird when you said it. I yeah. thought... Is Neil about to give me some Vegas odds here? What, 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 what are we doing? <laughs> no, the Las Vegas Raiders. They, I mean, they're moving to a new, yeah, new, new city, new stadium. They, God knows they could use a face of their franchise. Even yeah. You know, I mean, you do have to think about those things, especially in this yeah. environment today. You, you, you know, you... I know for people like you and me, we're going to go back to stadiums, but there will be people out there in this post-COVID environment before there is a... Uh, and. and a vaccine and maybe even after that who are going to be a little reluctant so you're going to have sure. to you're going to have to make sure that you incentivize people to go to games and uh, a, a player of Tua's stature when I say that I mean his uh just his persona his uh, he's, he's he's so good with with media and all of those things he he's gonna sell a lot of jerseys whether those are teal jerseys yep. or black jerseys or whatever jerseys he's gonna sell a bunch of them so yep. I wonder and, and I wonder your thoughts here what if, if I told you a team traded up to three to grab their quarterback, whether it's Tungavaloa or whether it's Herbert, who would you think it would be? Um, I would think it would be Miami uh, because I mean that was the whole that was the whole strategy here when they they first of all and I, I credit Brian Flores, who I'm a big fan of as my head coach. Um, now that said, I was a big fan of Adam Gates early on too. It did not turn out well. Um, but I mean, they built, if you go back, people will forget this now because Miami's picking fifth and they weren't the worst team in the NFL Cincinnati was, but if you'll go back to week one and two, they were losing and his 
historic fashion to Baltimore, New England, like one, week one and two. And somehow, and then so then they, they think, all right, well, we've built the roster that's bad enough to get the first pick. Now let's build draft picks. So we're open for business. And Laramie Tunsil goes to Houston, and Mika Fitzpatrick goes to uh, Pittsburgh, and Kenya Drake goes to Arizona. And now, not only are we bad enough to get the first pick, we got a bunch of draft picks, and we can trade around later on if we want to. Well, they forgot to tell Brian Flores we need to be that bad, and he ends up winning five games. But the good news is you still came away with all those draft picks. When they were getting criticized for trading those players away, that was the strategy. Get as many draft picks as you can. So they got a bundle of them, three in the first round, and I think two, still two every other round at least. So, I mean, Miami's got more ammunition than anyone to trade up. So if somebody traded with Detroit, I think it would be Miami. Yeah, Miami could trade with Detroit. Uh, they could trade with the Giants at four. I think the Giants would love yep. to move down in the draft. They they very clearly are going to go offensive linemen, and there's several that they like, including Jedrick Willis there from from Alabama. They they like uh, yep. Werfs from from Iowa. Uh, there's there's a handful of guys. Uh, the the kid from Georgia. I mean, there's just a bunch of guys at offensive line that that probably you could throw them in a hat. It it have to be a really big hat, but you'd have to throw them in a hat and. And you, and you could pick one out, and, and the Giants would probably be happy there. They'd probably love to move down to 8, 9, 10, add another second-round pick, something like that. I just cannot imagine Miami passing on Tua to take Herbert unless the medical word that you got was, was questionable, and it doesn't sound like that's the word that they've gotten. And if you had told the Dolphins a year ago, you're going to walk out of this draft with Tua Tungavaloa, they would have said, done, signed. And here's their, no here's their opportunity. The other team that I was thinking, Ryan, that might be a threat to trade up is the Chargers. Yeah, there's no doubt that they've got to, they've got to address. I mean, Tyler Taylor's their starter right now. And, you know, he's been a serviceable starter in the NFL, but you can't assume. And there's another one, Neil, moving in, assuming the stadium gets done in time, moving into a brand-new state-of-the-art stadium in another part of town. I mean, in a lot of ways, you're resetting even the L.A. portion of that franchise. And you've always been the the second, you know, of the L.A. moves. The Rams have been the primary move. You've always played second fiddle already in that city. So, yeah, I mean, if L.A., if the Chargers wanted to make a splash, that's a way to do it. Trade up, take two of Tonga Valoa. So, um, yeah, I think that would be the other one that could possibly do it. And, and I'll, I'll have to confess, I don't know what their situation is as far as draft picks go, you know, how they're set up. I just know nobody's better set up to do it than Miami. Yeah, the Chargers have, I want to say, they, yeah, they have 6 and 25 in the first round. Yeah. So they, I mean, they could do it, they could move up. The other teams, and I don't think they're moving up to get Tua maybe not even Herbert. The other two teams that are interesting quarterback-wise to me late in the first round, uh, obviously New England, if they could uh, move into the draft, they've, they're looking quarterback. I mean, they're, they're sitting yeah. here. You know, I'm, I'm trying to look for their spot. I don't, I don't, I think, I don't even think they're in the first round. Uh, yeah, they are. They are 20, um, 23. And, in fact, in this mock draft that I'm staring at right now from CBS Sports, they have them taking Herbert, which would be interesting because Herbert and – Belichick don't seem like they would uh, that doesn't seem like there'd be a lot of symbiosis there to me because the knock on you know the knock on Herbert is that football's does is not his whole life football's not everything to him yeah 
Uh, he's not Tom Brady. And then, and, the, and then the other team, just to get a, a collective thought on you, I do wonder if the Saints at 24, do they say, hey, look, I know we need a player here, but we've got to start thinking about life in the post-Drew Brees era, and I wonder if a Jordan Love or someone like that is available to them at that point, and they go, that's our guy. It always, yeah, because they, the Saints, to me the Saints and the Lions are a little bit alike. They're picking in you know, totally different parts of the draft, obviously. But they're a little bit in the Pittsburgh situation that, you know, when Pittsburgh drafted Mason Rudolph, Ben Roethlisberger was upset because Roethlisberger basically said, I, I got limited time left, and we would all like to win another championship. Use a pick like that to get me another weapon. And I can see Matt Stafford and Drew Brees saying that. I mean, Drew Brees saying, look, I've told you, you know, I've done a two-year deal. Give me a weapon for two years. Worry about quarterbacks when I'm done. Why, why would you sign me to a $50 million deal for two years and then not give me a weapon? And I can see Stafford saying the same thing in Detroit. Like, you know, why do you still have me around if you're planning for, for me retiring? Either trade me or give me a weapon. Don't draft my, my replacement. And, you know, I get what the franchises are doing, Neil, but I also get what the veteran quarterback is saying. I've given you a lot. We've done a lot together. i got limited time left. Let's build a team for today rather than a team for tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. And then the other thing, and I'm trying to almost avoid the whole COVID thing just for the sake of having a pleasant conversation, because you're going to rejoin on Monday or Tuesday, and we're going to talk about the draft, and we're going to get into the world of sports in this COVID era. But you do have to at least think, I'm, I'm guessing, so we, I just, I'm just now kind of thinking about this as, as we kind of off the top of my head. If you're a franchise that's thinking at all long term, there has to be a part of you that says, okay, let's be realistic. There's a chance, God forbid, that there is no season and that our players, our core players, are going to be a year older when we reconvene yep. and play again. And if that's the case, yeah. we need to make sure that we get a, a young long-term piece here well and and the other side of that too is um, the saints have already said i saw today at least the reports are that they're telling their players where there will be nothing but virtual training camps yeah i don't see in this world that we're living in right now how a rookie is going to come in and start right away at quarterback maybe other positions but quarterback in the nfl that's going to be tough and that's why Miami is a good spot, at least initially, for Tua Tagovailoa, because you got Ryan Fitzpatrick there. I think even if you'd never heard the phrase COVID-19 and you had rookie camps and voluntary camps and all that, I still think Ryan Fitzpatrick would start the year for Miami and they would work Tagovailoa in because there's no expectation in Miami that you draft Tua, you're a playoff contender yet. This is a build, and it, there's still some building to be done. I mean, they're going to have all these draft picks. If they use all these draft picks, they're going to have 8 million rookies that they've got to find a way to you know, get in, get on the roster. The chances are they'll trade a lot of these. Obviously, I don't think you want this many players that you've got to somehow meld into a team. So I, um, I, that's why initially I think Tua, his, his path to the playing field probably would be slower in Miami than anywhere which might be the best thing for him right now. Yeah, the thing about what you – and you're exactly right. There's there's not – realistically, there's not going to be a traditional training camp. Uh, cert- yeah. Certainly not at the college level, not at the pro level either. It's just not going to happen. It's going to be far more old school, hey, we've got three or four weeks to get ready and you're a rookie and, you know, whatever. That's why a guy like – if you're talking about in, impact guys right away, 
you're talking about guys like Isaiah Simmons at Clemson who can sort of do everything. I think yep. I think yep. you're talking about uh, 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 Derek Brown, the defensive lineman from Auburn, who I just think is fantastic. I think you're Absolutely. I think you're talking about uh, uh, Chazon, the the edge rusher from LSU, because hey, edge rushing yep. is edge rushing, and and you know you're you're talking about guys like Jerry Judy. And uh, uh, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. I mean, you're talking about skill guys that can go out and pick up and 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 do their skill quickly. I mean, yeah, they got to learn some terminology and they got to learn a playbook and some stuff like that. But there's not a as much of a learning curve to go play those positions. Yeah, the the see ball get ball guys, the see ball catch ball guys, right? Yeah, and, of course. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree with you completely that those are the safer. I mean, if you think you're not going to have the camps you need and you're going to have basically. Best case scenario, the preseason to get rookies ready, just the preseason schedule. You're absolutely right; those are your safer picks. Um, and you know, I think I think the teams that are perhaps lower in the draft, you know, Kansas City, who's already got a roster that's really, really good. Even uh, New Orleans that's got a really good roster. Those teams might be able to have that luxury. I still think, though, if you're at the top of the draft, you absolutely have to draft in the future. You got to do what Miami and Cincinnati and perhaps LA are going to do. You know what's interesting to me about the draft tomorrow is I expect the production value to be mediocre and I don't think yeah. I don't think anyone's going to care. I think I think we're all going to be so excited to have uh kind of real world sports. I, I'm not yeah. I'm not a huge Roger Goodell fan, but I, I'll give him credit. He he said that he said this in a couple of places. He said people look up to us for opti- look to us for optimism. He talked about the draft being a source of hope, and uh, he's right. He said he yep. said they look to us for bringing communities together. I think the draft is a great example of that with restoring hope. It's hope for our fans. It's hope for our teams. It's hope for our players, for these young men who are about to start their careers as prospects and players in the NFL. That's what this is all about, and I think we need those diversions. I think we need that focus on the future and that – that way to bring communities together, I think we'll be able to do that for the next three days, and then we'll focus on the future immediately after that. I'll give him credit. I think he nails it. I think that's exactly yep. what it is for three days. No one's kidding themselves. It's not going away in three days. Uh, we're not going to get back to normal in three days. Guys aren't going to return to, to – they're not going to go to mini camps and press conferences and stuff on sun, Sunday and Monday the way that they normally would have. We're going to go back to weird but for three days, and then really for four days, because we get the three days of the draft, and then we get this last dance thing that, thank God, ESPN put on, and it's, it's been great. We <laughs> we get that. So we get it kind of four days. We get a normal, in quotes, yeah. sports weekend. And then on Monday, we go. We know we're going back to the weirdness, but we get a we get a hiatus from it. Yeah, and I appreciate I'm like you. I appreciate Roger Goodell's perspective on that. He's a, uh, divert, yeah, he's a divisive guy. Uh, he's a lightning rod, a polarizing guy, but I do appreciate his perspective on that, and he's absolutely right. And you mentioned the production values. It was funny when this first started, and all these studios cleaned out their talent, and you got people a million different places. You know, I do some TV here in, in Birmingham on the ABC affiliate, and it, it was just so shocking to look at. Like, oh, my gosh, look at that shot. It looks awful. And now you're to the point where you're like, that's our normal. I mean, it really doesn't bother me anymore. So I don't even think, even though the – draft is obviously going to be different i don't think the what would normally be the shoddy production value of it's even going to matter i I think people have gotten used to it in a month and a half now oh yeah i do too i I think people will will get a kick out of it i think in in many ways 
I think people will watch it for the curiosity of it. I, I know I'm, you know, if there's a Zoom call that kind of fades away for a minute, I'm going to say, that's ah, okay. We're all dealing with that stuff. And in so many ways, yeah. you know, in in a lot of ways, Ryan, I think it's changing the, the face of, of broadcasting to some degree. I think people see... Like I was watching Scott Van Pelt last night, and he interviewed several several people. I was watching because Lane Kiffin was going to make an appearance, and just in case Kiffin said anything newsworthy, I needed to see it. And he had uh, Alex Ovechkin, and uh, yeah, uh, I can't remember who else. Two or three different guys, and then of course he had Kiffin on sitting at the sitting at his pool, and Boca and Knox was back in the back uh, uh, running around, and and it was just kind of normal. And I thought. In a lot of ways, this makes the people that we cover and it, for fans, the people that they cheer for, more human than ever before, more just like sure. them than ever before. Yeah, I agree completely. And uh, now I do think, I will say this, I think if we're going to keep this going forward, this is, this is a pet peeve of mine, we're going to have to somehow standardize the Skype shot. Like, if this is the shot we want you to have from <laughs> Skype or FaceTime or whatever, yeah. you know, I don't, need, I don't need to be looking up his nostrils and, <laughs> yeah. you know, all that. So I do think we're going to need to standardize it, but I, you know, this, the other side of this, there are going to be a lot of changes. I mean, I think a lot of businesses are going to look at this and say, you know, maybe our employees can work from home more. You know, we were more productive than I thought. And I think one of them will be television production. I think people have seen how easily this can be done and, or how, you know, with respect to how you normally have to do it and how easily it can be done and how much more, uh, how much less expensive it is to do it that way. So yeah, I think in a lot of ways, well, that'll be one of the lasting impacts of this. What do you make of uh, Gronkowski coming out of, quote, retirement to join his boy Brady in Tampa? It's, if, if you're the networks, you're like, please give us all the bucks we can get. Wouldn't you want, we were talking about this on the show today. Now, Dunaway, Jim Dunaway, who I did the show with, you know Jim, he's a huge Tampa Bay fan. He's a lifelong Bucks fan and Rays. Um, and, and, well, not lifelong Rays, Rays since they started. <laughs> yeah. Life of the Rays. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we were discussing this today. You know, traditionally, the first Thursday night game or the first Sunday night game goes to the Super Bowl champion on NBC, right? Yeah. Is it the, is it the game everybody wants to see, Kansas City and Tampa? I mean, is it if I let you pick, wouldn't that be the game you would pick? All day. Preferably, yeah. preferably in Tampa. I know that Kansas City deserves to get the game. And so they will, and because you know they won the title, and that's the whole deal. But I'd much rather see the game. And if I mean, if you offer it to me, I'm saying send Mahomes and them to the pirate ship. Let's play it there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what everybody wants to see: Mahomes versus Brady in Kansas City versus Tampa. And that's, I mean, I, that's the one I would pick. If you let me pick any any of the 32 teams, understanding Kansas City needs to be one of them, I would go Kansas City and Tampa. Give me that Thursday night or Sunday night or whatever on NBC, and that's that's the way the season starts i would change one other thing and i'm going to give credit to scott van pelt because he was the one that was doing it yesterday he was complimenting the chargers on their absolute sex uh, uniforms that they put out yesterday that are just oh they did look good yeah. oh just pure heat i mean just oh yeah. it's, my heart skip beats he, he yeah. made the point don't you if you're tampa have to scrap this new uniform and go back to the creamsicle with the pirate with the the, the knife in his mouth i mean that, that well the gm I, mean, I really wish they the, the the GM has the helmet on his desk while he's talking about their current new uniforms, and the old uniforms are just fantastic. Go back to those. Yeah, I agree. Now, listen, you're talking to a Dolphins fan, and you know how I feel about our new uniform versus our old one. So, I, I'm just—I I mean, I'm just 
<laughs> beat up that I think it's now seven NFL franchises this offseason have either changed or they've either altered their uniform outright, changed their uniform, or changed their logo. Seven. And the Dolphins aren't one of them. Had you told me back in November, well, had you told me a lot of things in November, I'd be surprised, but had you told me in November <laughs> that, hey, there are going to be seven NFL franchises change their uniforms, I would have said, thank God, man, the Dolphins have to be one of the seven. <laughs> no, 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 we're sticking with it. <laughs> Everybody wants it. I don't know anybody that likes it. I mean, it's crazy, Neil. When they wear those throwbacks, the old school Marino era uniforms, yeah. you ought to, you should see the players on social media. They go nuts about it. Tweet out photos, videos. They love them. I just I do not understand my franchise. Uh, for a lot of reasons, that's one of them. So along those lines, tomorrow night, when it's, it's Burrow goes and then... Uh, we'll say Chase Young goes. Everything goes according to plan, and we're 30 minutes in, and Peyton Manning has done his thing, and, and we've, we've, we've talked to Joe Burrow, we've talked to Chase Young, and getting to be right about that time, the Detroit Lions are on the clock. Are you going to be more comfortable with a complete disaster of a Dolphins draft, or if they get it right, are, are you just going to be so floored? It's a great um... – <laughs> I'll probably be floored if they get it right, but let me say, you know, this is Chris Greer. He's the new Dolphins GM. Um, this is his moment. So, I, you know, I, I'm still withholding judgment on him. He hasn't really screwed this up yet, as former Dolphins GMs have. Um, so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's been impressive. I like I liked his plan moving forward. I think they had a good plan. They just, I, I think, hired a better coach than they realized, perhaps, or maybe they didn't handicap him enough. And, I loved, listen, it, this was so weird because I know I wanted the first pick, but the last half of the season to watch that team fight and be, you know, be undermanned in yeah. almost every game they played and fight their tails off, yeah. I did love it. I mean, I loved it. And I'm one of those, Neil, I don't know about you, and my wife laughed at me. I watch the Dolphins every Sunday, Sunday ticket, NFL Sunday ticket. I watch, yeah, that's what you have to have because they're not on the national game a whole lot. So I watch them every Sunday. And, and even in the blowouts, I watch because I like to see – this is so stupid to say, say this out loud. I like to see the guys that care, that they're out there still playing hard down 30. That tells me if you're out there playing hard down 30, I, I think you care. And, and that's – I mean, so I watched the last half of the season. I'm like, man, there are a lot of guys on that roster that care. They're trying to win games. They're not just saying let's get the first pick and move on and collect the paycheck. They're trying to win games. You're, you're kind of like me with the Thunder this year because the Thunder trade Russell Westbrook and, yeah. uh, you know, Carson immediately just he's, – he's 13. Carson immediately gets a rocket sh- jacket. <laughs> he's, like, uh. he's like, I'm done. And I'm like, I can't leave him. And so I watched the Thunder at the beginning of the season expecting them to tank, to be bad. And they started bad. Yep. And then they started winning. And they started playing really well. And by the time that the pandemic kicked in – I was so watching them, and there would be this thing in the back of my. It really made every night I can't lose, because if they if they lost, I would say they need to lose. I know that I know that they need to lose. We have all these picks. The picks are worth more if we suck. Let's lose. But man, they played hard, and they played they played with such passion, and they would upset people and knock people off, and be in these games, and they were so good in the fourth quarter, and. I've spent all these years hating Chris Paul, and now I like Chris Paul, and it was just, it was this really odd thing, and it was just, you know, it's sports, but you're right, it's, you you cheer for your team, I remember when the Cubs were in tanking mode, and I knew losing was absolutely the way to go, and I'll, I'll, I remember it vividly, there was a moment when it started to turn, it was in, 
It was in Cincinnati in in uh, fourteen, and Araldis Chapman threw behind Anthony Rizzo, and uh, Anthony Rizzo got to first base and basically at, at the in the next half inning, basically challenged the Reds dugout. Just like, let's, uh, let's go. And I was like, yes, I'm in. These are my guys. Yeah. And from that point forward, I was like, I don't, I don't care about losing anymore. Let's, let's, let's get it. And, and uh, you know, so the Dolphins, yeah, you're right. And so you have a new guy. He's kind of your Theo. And it's, it'll be interesting to see because they can, they can win over a bunch of fans tomorrow. I mean, I think Herbert's – we'll wrap with this. I think Herbert's a good quarterback. I, the people that act like he's just a complete disaster, I don't, I don't, I don't know that, but – I was talking to Neil Stratton of Inside the League, I guess yesterday, and he was saying it's just that SEC Pac-12 thing. He said, you know, I watch a lot of Pac-12, and when they played somebody, a lot of times he just didn't show up, and that's, that worries yeah. me a little. And you watch the game that sticks out in my mind with Tua, ironically, is a loss. Uh, the game this season where Tua almost led Alabama back against that LSU team that was so good and believed they were going yeah. to win. And they arrived in Tuscaloosa completely believing they were going to win. They, 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 had, they had convinced themselves, and they were right, that this was their day. And at least for one, one season, they were passing Alabama. And it was happening on that field on that Saturday, the end. But Tua damn near made that not come true with his effort. And I just remember watching that going, man, if you got a chance to get that guy, you get that guy. Yeah, I love him, and, um, uh, you know, he, he's a great kid, uh, you know, great person from everything I can gather. Everybody I've talked to in Tuscaloosa, he's beloved. Saban talked about him in terms I've never heard him talk about a player in. Um, so, you know, I, I love all that, and I hate it for him. I, I don't care if he played at Alabama or if he's going to Miami. I hate to see anyone like that, especially who seems to do it right. Sure. You know, have to battle the injuries. I mean, sure. this is yeah, this should be his moment. He should be the number one pick, and that was taken from him because of a lot of freak injuries. Um, so I hate that for him. But I tell you, I'm I'm with you. He's the guy that you hate to pass on because of injury, because you feel you feel like you regret that for the rest of his career. Well, hey, we will uh, we will recap the draft with you Monday, Tuesday of next week. I'm looking forward to it. We'll do it at your convenience because I got nothing but time. So uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be back. In, Turns out my schedule's open. Yeah. yeah, we'll be back in weirdness by Monday. So uh, I'll I'll look forward to Monday, Tuesday talking to you. We'll we'll uh, spend some time. We'll be able to talk about what the Dolphins did or didn't do, what other teams did, uh, some different guys around the SEC. We'll look around the league. It'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Neil. All right, Ryan. Be good. You too, man.